allowing us to be here this morning, for allowing us to be in your presence in a special way. We thank you that we have the opportunity to praise and to worship. For those, Lord, who are here, but maybe they aren't really here, my prayer is that this message and this word would fill them with hope, with peace, and with joy. We pray that you would teach us exactly what it is that we need to hear now. In your name we pray. Amen. So this morning we are, I guess it's a little summer series. There's no name to it. It's just kind of Colossians. We'll look at a couple of verses in Colossians chapter 2. And so I'll offer a few thoughts and then, um, and then we'll pray. And then, we'll, and then we'll enjoy the rest of the Sabbath. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open to the book of Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, it's kind of tucked away in the New Testament, maybe three-fourths of the way back in the New Testament. I'm just going to jump in, and then I'll make some comments. It's also on the screen, and here's what it says. Paul is writing to this church in the city of Colossae, or Colossae, however it's pronounced, it's a Christian church. It's a church that is um, filled by people who were not necessarily Jewish. So when Jesus comes, he gives us his message. Jesus ascends to heaven. And then you have the 11 disciples who are left who then begin to preach this gospel of Jesus. They were still technically Jewish in the sense of, you know, they still had all of the Old Testament. There was no New Testament by then. They were Jewish, but they also accepted Jesus as Messiah, and so there was a little bit of a difference, right? But they were still kind of Jewish. Well, the church in, in, at, at Colossae, they weren't Jewish. They were just every, they were considered Gentiles, right? So they were not culturally or ethnically or nationally Jewish or religiously Jewish. So this is who Paul is speaking to, and here's how he begins. He says, I want your hearts to be encouraged and united in love so that you may have all the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom all things are hidden and all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So I just want to pause there for a second. Paul says, I want your hearts to be encouraged and united in love. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand how many of you this morning need to feel encouraged or how many of you need to feel loved. But what I do know is that the message of Scripture always comes to us because Paul and Jesus and all of the Bible writers want to continually encourage you. And what he is teaching us here is that encouragement and courage comes from a shared experience of love. That's why church is such an important place for us. As we often say, it's not that this place is more holy and more sacred than other places, but our hope, and we are continually learning how to do this, our hope is that we would encourage one another in a loving way. Do we always get it right? No. But we hope, especially as the leaders of this church and as the elders of this church, we hope to learn from every instance so that we can be more loving and united in love. But Paul goes on to say that the reason is because he wants wants you to have the assurance of your salvation because that assurance comes in the person of Jesus. You see, we often talk about God and how we know all these things about God, right? And, and that's what we do today, right? We will argue with people about the different characteristics of God, and we will argue with people about the differences of religion, and yet when Paul writes about it, he writes about God as a mystery, 
God, because God is unknowable, is that he sends his son Jesus to teach us everything that we would need to know. Now, here's what's happening in this church. In a few moments, we're going to look at how there were people in this church who were coming and trying to take these people, um, trying to lead them astray. Now, we're not really sure what these other philosophies were, but what we can understand is these people call, can you guys hear me or am I, do I keep breaking up? I feel like I go in and out and I don't know if it's, the, if it's, oh, okay, let me just try this because it's, it's messing with my head. <laughs> so let's recenter. So we're not exactly sure what was going on in the city of Colossae and in this church. But what we do know is that there were other groups of people who were coming into the Christian church and they were trying to dissuade them or to deceive them or to lead them into different ways of understanding. So there was this one philosophy that says that the whole universe is set in some sort of natural order. And so for every for everything, for every cause there is for every cause there's an effect and a consequence and there's a natural order to how the whole universe is is running and the way that you get to live a blessed and joyful life is that you must live within the context of this bigger natural order of things now on the one hand we can say well yeah the god sets the world in this natural order and it runs in a certain way and we want to live in flow and in harmony with the will of god but they wouldn't go as far as saying god they were just saying there is this impersonal universe out there. And so Paul is beginning to say, is like, look, no, you can't go down that road. There is rules and laws to the way the universe are set up. But that is because God himself has set them there. Not only that, but God has sent his son. We, that's why we have Jesus in order for us to know that it is Jesus. And the Bible tells us it is Jesus who holds all things together. And so there were people that were coming into this church and trying to pull them away and pull them aside from their understanding of who Jesus was and what Jesus came to do. And Paul, he went through every effort to make sure that they understood that we aren't here by chance, that we're not here by accident, but that the universe is filled with purpose and meaning and Jesus is at the forefront of your life and he is leading you down every path you take. And when we get off of the path that God has for us, it is God who gently and sometimes really violently <laughs> puts us back on the path as long as we are believers that God wants us to follow. There was also another group of people, and you've probably heard this term before, but there was also a group of other believers called the Judaizers. And this group would come into Christian churches in the first century and try to convince the Christian people, the new, and this was like a brand new faith, a brand new religion, so, you know, the Christians were still trying to figure everything out. What they did know was that Jesus came and died and was resurrected. And because of that, we had the assurance of salvation, but they were figuring out a lot of the other stuff. They were a, a budding community of faith. And there was this group of people who were coming and telling them that they were wrong. In a sense, they were telling them, you guys are being too liberal. This grace that you guys are preaching, that is too easy. That means everyone gets in. And so what they started to say is, yes, okay, Jesus saves you, but you have to follow all of these other laws in order for you to continue to have the salvation that you guys preach. They were even going so far, this group of Judaizers, as to telling the men that these are grown men, that they had to be circumcised in order to prove that they truly believed in this Jesus. Now, what would we say to that today? No, that's ridiculous. <laughs> that's ridiculous. 
And that's what Paul was dealing with. Paul was dealing with all these groups of people trying to convince this new church, this young and budding church, that, that, way, that the way that they were doing church and faith was wrong, and they had to do all of these other things. And so Paul was upset. And so when he comes at these people, and sometimes we see that Paul was really angry and Paul was upset. So when Paul is here, he speaks pretty harshly. But Paul makes it a point that all of these other philosophies, all of these philosophies that maybe make you feel good or they sound good, because sometimes there's other philosophies that kind of seem to sound good. But what Paul is saying is that only following Jesus is the only true way to live a blessed life. Now, Colossians chapter 2 verse 4 says this, I am saying this so that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments. Plausible is like another word of saying realistic. It's another way of saying like arguments that might sound possible. So what these people were doing were very convincing. They were very convincing in how they were teaching these new ways of philosophies of understanding the world. And it was very easy for the new Christians to say, well, okay, let's go that way. Because after all, the Christian faith was brand new. And Paul says, I don't want you to be deceived. How many of you have, you don't have to raise your hand because we all have these people in our, in our lives, but how many of you have ever had a conversation or an argument with someone that had their argument down pat and they were so convinced that what they were saying is true, so they were confident. Have we ever had a conversation with someone like that? And you know what you believe, but they are so confident that you're just like, hmm, well, maybe they're right, right? I mean, that, that's, what, that's what, like, uh, cable news channels are with presidents, like our presidential elections. Like, if you listen to one for any length of time, you're like, huh, I wonder if they're right because they're so confident on either side of the aisle, okay? They are so confident about what they're saying. There are even studies that show that the person who is the most confident and more, most outspoken in a room will be the one that convinces the room because of the attitude of confidence they have. Did you guys know that? And so that's what was happening in the first century church. These people were coming in and they were just, they were confident and they were, and these arguments were plausible and they made sense. And so they were just like slowly, right, like dangling that, that, that sweet apple in front of them and trying to lead them away. But Paul was having none of that. And so he goes on and says this, as therefore, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So some of you may be thinking, well, what if someone is trying to lead me astray? What happens if someone tries to come into our church and try to lead some of us astray? And, and I, don't think, I don't know that that's happened here anytime in the recent past, but there are people who will go into churches and try to lead people astray. Actually, I think someone tried to do that here one time. Some lady came, well, the one that I'm thinking of, there was a lady who came here who was basically handing out literature telling us that the Seventh-day Adventist church was horrible and terrible, and so we should go to the Reformed Seventh-day Adventist church. I don't know if that was the right word, but, but we had that happen at a potluck one time, and some of the elders had to basically chase her out of here because it calls into question the deity and the person of who Jesus is. And so Paul says, no, you can never, never compromise on who Jesus is and what he has done. So the remedy for us, the remedy for you and what you can do in this world and in this time and in this place, Paul says, you have received Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Now, Jesus comes as a person 2,000 years ago, and so we are receiving him. I believe that God is, or Jesus is continually pursuing every single one of us. And I believe that God is relentlessly pursuing us because Jesus wants to get as many people into heaven as possible. Oftentimes, as Christians, we come across almost as we're trying to keep as many people out of heaven as possible. But I think that Jesus relentlessly pursues us because he wants to spend eternity with us. And so it says, therefore, you have received Jesus Christ. And that's also Paul's way of saying those of you who have received the gospel, those of you who have accepted Jesus, those of you who have heard the call that Jesus has made on your life. And, and I believe that Jesus is calling some of you here this morning right now. I know we're in church and I know that everyone thinks that we're all on the same playing field. But I also know that Jesus is calling some of you that are here this morning and you are just not wanting to give in for whatever reason. I know sometimes when I talk to people, they say that the reason that they didn't want to give in to this, this call of Jesus, right, that they were like, you know, resisting with all their might was because they felt that the life that they were then going to begin to live was going to be this boring life filled with rules and regulations and going to church every Saturday. And, you know, and so there is this misconception that to follow the call that Jesus is placing on our heart is actually going to lead us towards this boring, horrible life where we don't get to do anything we like. But I think if you are one of those people and you talk to someone that is living a life that is, that is pursuing the call of Christ in their life, they will tell you a very different story. I believe at, from experience, and, and it's a little bit different for me because I was raised in a Seventh-day Adventist home. My entire life revolved around a church of some sort, always on Saturday, a Seventh-day Adventist church, but I've just been a part of church life my entire 34 years of life. So my story may be a little bit different, but I can tell you that when I turned, well, not when I turned, but my senior, right before going into my senior year in high school, I started reading the Bible kind of for myself. I'd always read it. We'd always been in church. But there was that one passage that says that salvation is for all of us, and it, and it doesn't matter how good we are. We can, it's not anything that we do that can earn us our salvation, but rather it is Jesus who freely gives it to us, and we accept that by faith. And I can tell you that, yeah, I did miss out on some of the stuff that I wanted to do. For all we know, I could be playing professional football right now, but I didn't play varsity football. Yeah, I mean, you never know, right? <laughs> all right, that's clearly a joke, but I thought that I wanted to play football so bad in high school, and that's what was going to happen my senior year, and that's when, and so my parents came to me, and they said, okay, well, I didn't, they didn't come to me because they thought I shouldn't play football at all. But I went to them and I said, okay, so now do I get to decide? Because my older brother got to decide and he played, you know. And I said, now do I get the decision to now I can play on Friday night on Sabbath? And they said, fine, you can, you can make that decision. That is, it, it's, go ahead. And I remember struggling with that because all I cared about was playing. We had a good team that year. We got all the way to the semifinals of CIF Division. I think it was Division 9 that year. So it was a good team. And I chose not to play probably mostly out of guilt, okay? Can I just say that? It was probably mostly out of guilt. I didn't want God to punish me, or my brother hurt his knee um, when he was in high school, and his team only won one game, so I was like, I can't do that to my team. Of course, right? These are like very, these are very young person's way of thinking that that's the way God is, right? He's going to punish everyone for you. No, you know, we know that's not true. 
But I, I still remember thinking, I, I can't do that because I know that there is something that, that God is calling me to do different. Now, when we look at it, you know, 15 years later, okay, I don't have the stories of playing varsity football. I don't get to tell the stories of how awesome my team was, right? I don't get to do any of that, but guess what? I don't think it would have changed anything in my life because that's in the past. High school was fun and it was great, but now I get to be an adult. And so you see, the fact that I have gotten to choose to follow, well, not that I've gotten to choose to follow Christ, but that I've accepted his call, I would never trade my life for anything else. Because anyone who has truly accepted Christ in their life will tell you that life isn't going to be perfect. You're going to experience some tremendously horrible things in your life. But what you do know is that even in the terrible things of life, you will still experience joy in your life. You still get to know that at the end of the day, you are still assured that one day, that horrible feeling that you're feeling or that horrible thing you're going through, one day it will no longer matter because God has set something better for us. So when Paul says you have received the gospel of Christ Jesus, and then he says, continue to live your life in him. Sorry, I know I get really excited about this. Um, this reminds me of, this is why, this is why I, I've given my life to serve God in a church. It was for this message. That's why I get excited. That's why I get kind of Hispanic when I start preaching, right? And I get louder, and, and then I whisper. <laughs> if you've been to a Hispanic church, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but Paul says, continue to live your life in him. And the Greek word for to live your life in him is really continue to walk with him. Do you remember the story of Noah? The reason that Noah was found to be different than all the other people was because he what? He walked with God. The word carries so much meaning to it more than just walking alongside one, but it carries the idea that he was intentional about this relationship that he had with God. And so as you make your way in this world, after you've received the gospel of Christ, the, what you do next is you continue to live and walk with him. It's about how much are you spending any time with God on a daily basis. I know I've, I've said, I, we've heard people say this before, but people say, I feel like if I don't begin my day spending some time with God, that the rest of my day is, is off. Is that true for some of us? Yeah. Now, that's not, and I know it sounds superstitious, so here's where, we get, where I get rid of that superstitious notion. There have been many days in my life where I've spent and I've started my day with God, and my days were still horrible and terrible. There are many, many days, I mean, I, I will even go so far as to say that I, when I set out, several years ago, I set out to, to read the entire Bible in 90 days. It ended up taking me 180 days. <laughs> So uh, I was not an A student, but it took me about 181 days to read through the Bible. So you would think that if I'm spending two to three hours every morning with God in a very intentional way where I would silence my phone, I wouldn't check my emails, and I was just pouring into the scripture, you would think, our human minds would think, that now life is going to be good those days, right? Right? I mean, kind of. But I can tell you that those, those were actually the worst 181 days of my entire life. They were the hardest days I've ever had to live, mostly because it was the end of my marriage. But I had started reading long before that, months before that. 
and yet I still had to go through the valley of darkness, of shadow, of death. So you see, reading the Bible doesn't fill some quota where, there, when then, where then God then says, okay, well, you did good today, you're, I'm going to check you off the list, and now your day's going to be great. No. But what it does do is it fills you with the Holy Spirit in such a way that nothing that happens can take your joy. So we don't do this out of superstition because then things are going to be better. We do it because we spend time with God because it aligns our mind, our heart, and our soul to the heart of God. And so when Paul says to continue to live your life in him, he's also the guy that says, for it is in God that you move and live and breathe and owe your existence to him. Your life is in God. Paul is also the guy who would say that for him, this life to live is Christ. Now we talk about Paul every single week here, it feels like, right? Mostly because he wrote most of the New Testament. And so he becomes one of these Bible heroes. But Paul was the guy that was like, he survived, you know, being stoned. He survived falling off a cliff. I mean, he, he ended up dying for his faith, okay? So this is a guy who was imprisoned. This is a guy who didn't live an easy, plush life. But this is a guy who experienced the hardships of life and his faith never relented. And here's why. Because not only did he continue to live in Christ, but do you see that word that says rooted? The thing that he rooted, the foundation of his life, was in Christ Jesus. You know, so there are so many of us, and so we hear this all the time, that our country is going down the drain and everything's going to be horrible. And if we vote for this person or if we vote for that person, everything is going to come to a crippling halt, right? And so there is this fear factor but to those of you who are fearful, I point to this passage. You can't control it, especially in California. We already know who this state's going to go to, okay? So, I mean, I guess if we say it enough, people will vote the other way, but you know. <laughs> but for the most part, we know where this state's going to go. But for those of you who are afraid and who fear the future, I point you to this, to a man who lived horrible extremes and he still had joy because he knew that he accepted Jesus. His future was already sealed in Christ. So he wasn't worried about where he would go for all eternity. And because of that, he rooted his life in Jesus and he walked with God daily because he knew that with God, all things are possible. There is nothing that is impossible for God. And he knew that he would have everything he needed if he just trusted God. And so just really quickly, one or two more thoughts. Not only are you supposed to be rooted in Christ, but it says, so that's foundation, right? That's the thing that keeps you strong. But then you are to be built up in him. So your foundation is in Christ, but also the way you live your life is rooted in him. And it is established in the faith, right? In believing in Jesus and as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. How many of you have ever, I know I'm running out of time, but how many of you have ever... Um, focus so much on all the negative things in your life and then it just feels like things are more and more and more and more negative how many of you has that ever happened to yeah that happens to me all the time but then i have to remind myself that of course if i keep going down that path of only seeing the negative then i'm only going to see the negative but according to the christian life as paul is setting it out he is saying abound in thanksgiving look at all of the reasons that you have to be thankful 
part of the faith, part of building your faith is actually focusing on the things that you are thankful for. Has anyone ever told you that? No one ever told me that. But part of how your faith grows is by focusing on all the things you are thankful for. Now, let's just, I'm just going to read a couple of verses and then we'll, we'll wrap up. For in Jesus, the whole fullness of God, deity, dwells in a body. And you have come to fullness in him, which is Jesus, who is the head of every ruler and authority. Now, I can't even go into all of the, th- all of the implications that this has. Um, this is one of those things where we could sit in my office and talk because it might get kind of long and boring. Not the first part, but the part about the authority. But you see, in Jesus, the whole fullness of God lives in Jesus. So God is present. God is Jesus. And it says, you have come to fullness in Christ. So you are one with Christ. And then he says, in him, in Jesus, you were circumcised. Okay, remember I said that there was groups of people that were telling these adult men to be circumcised? He is saying, you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by putting on the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. Another way of saying this is this, real quick. In the Old Testament, circumcision was given to Abraham. And from there on, every, every uh, male boy was supposed to be circumcised as a marker of their cultural identity of being the people of God. So circumcision was one of these outward ways that differentiated men from all the other men and all the other nations to say that, hey, we belong to the, to the people of God, right? And so there was people who were saying, you still had to do that, but Paul says no. You still have circumcision today, but it's no longer a physical outward mark, but rather it is that you have received Jesus Christ. That is what sets you apart from all the other people And so it says, do not let anyone disqualify you from this assurance of salvation. You cannot let anybody tell you that salvation is found anywhere outside of in Christ Jesus alone. And anyone who tries to tell you that you must continue to earn it by being a good Christian, then they are telling you a lie. But here's the thing. We don't live godly and honorable lives because we want to continue to keep our salvation. We are to live godly and honorable lives out of love for God who has forgiven our sins. Does that make sense? There's a very difference. There's a big distinction between doing it because you're afraid that you're going to lose your salvation and doing it out of love for the one who has done everything for you. If you've ever been forgiven by someone, you know that the way you then live in return is out of the deep reservoir of love and of thankfulness for having been forgiven. And that is how the Christian must live. Does that make sense to us? It means that we must live honorable, moral lives because they will serve as a witness to other people, but out of thanksgiving for the Christ that has forgiven our sins. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, um, God, we like that you make salvation easy, but it's hard for us because it seems that it's so easy that we don't have to do anything. My prayer is that as your Spirit continues to teach every single one of us, that as we continue to build our lives in you, that you would teach us 
and that you would mold us and that you would help us to live in such a way that in every circumstance that we, that we encounter, that we give honor and glory to you. We pray that you would give us the strength. We pray that you would teach us and we pray that you would live in our stead. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.